Hi, this is Sean. I'm Liv. And welcome to Case Close. Question mark. What's up, everybody? Hi. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. I'm sure when you're listening to this, you'll be snuggled up by the fire. <laughs> or if you're in North Carolina, you'll be standing out in the sun because uh, <laughs> be that's just how it is. Tomorrow. Something like that. Um, uh, Christmas Eve will be 70. Yeah, it's nuts. That's what it's uh, Christmas in the South is like. <laughs> We've gotten used to that over the last uh, you know Wait. three and a half years. Um, but uh, today we have for you... The one that you've all been waiting for. And and, and it's funny because, like... The most requested. Yeah, most <laughs> requested. only requested. For sure, yeah. <laughs> most requested. Um, and I know a lot of people will be like, well, it's cliche and blah, blah, blah. And my dad told me not to do it because everybody's yeah. done it. But, but at the same time, we agreed. We feel like it's a rite of passage for any true oh, crime yeah. podcaster is, There's a couple of the big ones you gotta talk about. You gotta right. talk about this one. We gotta talk about Ted Bundy eventually. Yeah. You know, we gotta talk about Ed Kemper. Like, we gotta yeah, talk about like all of them. Maybe even Zodiac, Zodiac. at one point. I mean, you know. those are just the ones you gotta talk exactly. about. Exactly. But this one, in the spirit of the holidays, um, is one that you cannot um, forget. And uh, when this one took place, my lovely wife was not even born yet. Yeah, I was not. My best friend was only a couple weeks old. We're only, we're 56 days apart. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, she, she was only, it was less than, it was It yeah. was about a month, just over a month before she yeah. would be born. Yeah. So, um, and I was uh, four. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I love it so But much. Um, I think without any uh, ado, oh, well, we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. We got some exciting news on the Oh, on, yes, on we front. do. We do. So, we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. But without any further ado, yeah, let's see. lead into today's case. So, did, first of all, did anybody guess from last episode? Yeah, we want to know. If you know. didn't, you're not a real true crime junkie, and right. I'm going to need you to head out. Yeah. Um, I'm or kidding. go back and listen to... <laughs> Our last few. And I'm totally kidding. Like, you're in the right place because yeah. we're figuring it out together. Oh, yeah, now. for sure. Um, so, on December 25th, 1996, a young pageant queen who had fallen asleep in the car, she was tucked into bed by her father after attending a Christmas party. Sometime later in the night, though, sweet six year old John Monet Ramsey walked downstairs, ate some pineapple, and was later killed and found in the wine cellar to be found later in the day. So, JonBenet Ramsey, she was named after her father, John Bennett Ramsey. Wouldn't you love to have that as a... Yeah. I always thought that that was interesting in this, like... I, It's a weird, like... Well, I think the reason it was so weird to me, too, is, like, he has older kids. Right. Like, he has kids from a previous marriage. Right. One's named John. And they have Burke. Yeah, and, and they have Burke, yeah. <laughs> like, so, John Benet had to have both names. I don't right. know. It just, yeah, it's, it, just it, it's definitely weird. So. It's just funny to me. Um, but anyway, she followed her mother's footsteps into pageantry 
Having been a former Miss West Virginia in 1977 herself, Patricia, or Patsy, Ann Ramsey, entered her daughter into pageantry from a very young age. At one point, while having a friend visit, John Bonet was quoted as saying, they're more my mom's trophies than mine, when asked about all the awards she had won, which is really sad. Honestly, to kind of think yeah. About. Well. Yeah, it, it, and when we, when we were watching that one documentary about this to kind of get ready, I, I remember feeling real sad when she said that, because that's just like, I feel like a lot of times you hear stories about kids in the pageant system where yeah. that, that happens. Well, and my sister's a little pageant queen, but she didn't do it till high school. Right. Yeah, you know, she's only been on one pageant ever. One, yeah. so congratulations, my sweet little yeah. precious child. Um, but I, and we'll get into it later because that's something that I put in as another kind of bullet point to talk about. But I can kind of touch on it now as it's very different um, depending on where you grow up. Oh, and yeah. I'll kind of leave it at that for now because I want to get into it later. But... You know, there's so many conflicting reports as to, did John Benet love it? Did she hate it? Was she? Right. And I think she genuinely liked it. Yeah. And she's a very outgoing, bubbly little girl. And yeah. so this is something that I think she got to kind of shine and be, you know, she centered her attention and she liked to be that. I mean, and what, yeah, what six-year-old doesn't want to be the center of attention? She gets to try on the pretty dresses yeah. and to be on stage. And so, like, I think, and getting all the attention from her mom and grandma, I think that, you know... I think she did genuinely enjoy it. Was yeah. it probably stressful? Probably. And she probably did feel like mom took that over more than she did. But I, I don't I don't know. I mean, by all accounts, I don't think she hated it. I think she did choose to be there. And if yeah. she had said, I don't want to do it. Now, the grandmother was quoted as saying, like, hey, if John May didn't want to do it, what would you say? Oh, she's going to do it. Well, I mean, I guess where I struggle with it, too, is, like, I know it's different. But, like, when you look at a little boy in football, and, you, like, a lot of times... Especially growing up in the South, but like, you know, put a little boy in football and they ask the parents, well, if he doesn't want to do it, he's going to do something, he's going to do sports, he's going to do this. And when you look at a girl being a pageant, it's just, it's the same idea of like, they want them to finish what they're doing. Right. But I don't know. I, I don't, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about it. I just feel like for her, like, it could kind of go either way. Were they trying to make her competitive and finish what she started or which, were they actually forcing her into it? I right. will never know. Yeah. But yeah, so. She, like I said, she was a bubbly, friendly little girl who genuinely sp seemed to enjoy pageants and spending time with her family. And she, um, as recently as December 17th, was crowned Little Miss Christmas. She had an older brother, Burke Ramsey, who was nine at the time of her murder. She also had four other half-siblings from her father's previous marriage, all of whom were considerably older than her, so I didn't really choose to mention them. They're not really mentioned a whole lot in this case. Yeah. They don't really have a whole lot to do with it. They're older. They were, like, the youngest ones are in 20s, so, like, yeah. she was, they, were, they weren't living there. They, they, they had were, their own lives they had, and their yeah. families and stuff like that. Right, and she, her half-sibling, Elizabeth, was killed in a car crash in 1992, um, so, yeah. at this point, John Monet would have been very, very small. Uh, Burke may have remembered Elizabeth, but, you know, that was something that, you know, John Ramsey really had to deal with already, was the loss of one of his children. Right. We're going to kind of now get into what um, what happened, you know, the day right. um, that John Monet was found. And because this is such a hounded, like story i feel like you know i, I think anybody's heard the dominating ramsey case knows a lot of this yeah so I, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on a ton of the like timeline yeah because we just want to give you like an overview like just and i think yeah. a lot of what 
you know, we're going to discuss will be in our part two. Yeah. Will be about our, about the theories and yeah. our theory, yeah. um, on what we feel like, the, you know, or what theory we think is our, yeah. um, I just kind of wanted to warn because, you know, with John Bonet being so prevalent and especially this time of year, she was a little Miss Christmas. It does usually pop up with like a, in remembrance yeah. of John Bonet. You know, everybody kind of knows something about this case, yeah. even whether whether you like true crime or not. So right. that's why you know I kind of wanted to say that real quick, as like this is going to be a pretty quick overview of, right. of her life and yeah. yeah. So um, uh, the day of Christmas was just pretty normal for the family. They um, you know, spent the morning you know opening gifts. She got a bike. She got a bike, and it was a pretty normal day. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, they went over to a family's uh, friend's house for a party. Right. And around, I believe it was 8, 8.30-ish, they left the party. They get home, it was 9, 9.30. And uh, John uh, put uh, Jean Bonnet to bed, and for all intents and purposes, that was the last time that, you know, right. he saw her alive. Not much... Throughout the night, nothing heard. Um, but around uh, 5.45 a.m., uh, Patsy um, wakes up to go downstairs, put on some coffee. Mm-hmm. And um, she finds a two-and-a-half-page ransom note on the bottom of the stairs, like the first step. Mm-hmm. And this was like, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll yeah. talk about it more, but this was, this was a note. Oh, yeah. To say that, the least. That's coming up. I would feel like a note more like an essay. Yeah. But anyway, um, right after that, she immediately called um, her friends and the police to report that her daughter had uh, been kidnapped mm-hmm. um, because the letter stated she was being held for ransom and that right. it, was, um, it wasn't just a normal kidnapping. Um, police did arrive pretty quickly. They arrived um, within three minutes of the call. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, According to the note, um, the Rams- uh, the Ramses were uh, expected to receive a call from a person who was holding uh, John Bonet around 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. So the police are there; they're preparing, waiting. 10 a.m. comes and goes, no call from the suspect. Mm-hmm. Around 1 p.m., that's when investigators told John Ramsey um, they're going to search the house, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important warning to yeah. kind of keep remembering it. Right. It's very important to note, like, them saying from top to bottom. So, uh, at one one o five, John grabs his friend Fleet White, who was one of the families that uh, they called to come over. Uh, Fleet White was one of the, the uh, good friends of the, of the Ramsey family. And they decide to go down into the wine cellar. And uh, that's when John finds uh, John Bonet's lifeless body covered in a blanket with uh, duct tape covering her mouth. And um, there was a garrot around her neck, mm-hmm. um, which uh, if you guys don't know what that is, we can add a picture in or we can, you know, or, you know, just if you, you can look it up, it's pretty easy to find the picture of it. And I'll explain it when we get to the autopsy. Yeah. Um, and uh, her wrists were tied as well mm-hmm. um, in a uh, pretty interesting knot. He takes the, uh, John takes the tape off of her mouth and brings her upstairs and lays her on the floor. Mm-hmm. Which is really weird because right. there was a table, there was a couch, there was, I mean, like, this all is the your, things. This is this your is house. This is your daughter. This is your house. Mm-hmm. And your first thought is, let me lay her on the floor where everybody has come through mm-hmm. the entryway. 
we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Um, she then is uh, moved again after being laid on the floor there to try and preserve the scene. Um, she is laid on the ground in the living room. Mm-hmm. Not long, you know, later on in the day, um, she was taken out of the home around 10.45 p.m. And uh, the next day at 8 a.m., she was autopsied. Um, and the whole time that basically all this is apparently going on, you know, her the daughter being missing, you know, with JonBenet being missing and all that, um, Burke is asleep. Until the first friends show until, up and take it, him and usher him off. Right. So this entire time from 5.45 until, you know, 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock when friends start arriving, Burke's supposed to be asleep. Yeah. We'll so, talk about that more. We'll go into that in but, the next uh, episode. Yeah, and then the friends come over and they get him to uh, a friend's house. So, um, so now we're going to get into the 911 call. So Patsy called 911 at 5.52 a.m. We're going to insert the audio here. 911 calls because we've talked about it before like in the faith case like what do you do you know are you are you so shocked or calm are you freaking out are you you know what do you say first you don't you don't know you have it in your brain like I would say this and this is how I would do it but you really don't um but it was just a note that I have for this yeah um so then she says we have a kidnapping Kim Archuleta, she was the 911 operator who took this call, was under a gag order um, because they an investigator came to her and said, hey, until we hold a grand jury and you testify, then you're under a gag order. But she was never asked to testify, um, and she was never talked to again. So until the documentary watched, she really hadn't spoken out um, about who she was and what she had heard. Um, so... Patsy was extremely frantic, as you can hear in the audio, um, up until the very end. And then she she thinks she hangs up the phone, or she puts it on the base. So I think she thought that would hang it up. 
Right. Um, but then there's six seconds more of audio in which Kim goes, Patsy, like, Patsy, like, are you, and then she just, Kim is quiet she so just she listens. can hear. Yeah. Um, and Patsy, it's, well, because you think she's hung up, I mean, one thing that Kim said that was, you know, it was like, okay, I've called police now, what? Um, and I don't know if that's what she thought she said or if that's just how she interpreted the situation. Either way, I don't feel like she's that off if, you know, okay, I called police, I hung up the phone, now what? Regardless of what else we're about to talk about. Um, it is an interesting scenario, you know. Um, your child's missing. So, I mean, I do understand the what now part, but I feel like I would want to... Yeah, I mean, like they t- like like I feel like they talked about it real quick in the uh, documentary. When it comes to the situation, especially, pretty much, I mean, the one guy who would, who was an FBI agent, you know, former worked in behavioral sciences, Jim Clemente, um, he talked about in pretty much every single case that he's ever worked on where it involved a kidnapping. Yeah. They stay on that line right, until the police arrive. For any right. type they're of not going to hang up the foot. Like this is like they said, this is their lifeline yeah. to get somebody to help them from the outside mm-hmm. world. And to think that their thought is just call and then okay, I'm going to hang up. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's and just, then call your friends. It doesn't make sense. It, yeah, it's it's not as much as you say. Like you don't know how you would react in a situation like that. Right. It it doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Okay, so in that six seconds of audio, you hear what sounds like a man's voice, which we were presuming to be John, and say to what sounds like uh, like a child, which would have to be Burke at this point, we are not speaking to you. Um, then you hear Patsy say what sounds like either what did you do or help me Jesus or both. She might have said, help me Jesus, what did you do? Um, and then a smaller voice you can hear say, what did you find? Of course, this is all speculation because at the time they didn't have a way of discerning the audio properly. And what we hear with today's technology still makes it very hard to discern and leaves room for a lot of interpretation. You remember, um, you see those videos kind of going around where it's like, do you hear them say orange or alien? And then it's just like a weird, like, wompy voice. It's kind of the same idea. You're subject to what you think that you're going to hear anyway. You're never going to get a fully, like hands out opinion on yeah. this because everybody's heard of this case and even if you listen to it without knowing it's from the case your brain um ashley flowers from um uh crime junkie. crime junkie she i mean she said it in a bunch of cases but i think she's right like we interpret cases and what we think you know what we think we hear what we think we see how we think we're going to react based on our life experiences yeah so if we're no if we know we're listening to a 911 call or an audio we interpret those sounds differently no matter who you are right. so i think this is something that like i even though the majority of people hear this and i do believe something like this was said that's just what you know i will i yeah, will it, say that it, it is up to human interpretation right. so it can be wrong and when you like um uh, the the documentary that we're referencing that we were watching is um uh, the case of Jean Monnet Ramsey, and it was uh, it was like a CBS yeah. or NBC uh, documentary came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on Amazon Prime for renting. Uh, and they do a really good job yeah. at taking the background audio yeah. out, but it is still really really hard. Yeah, for sure. But the, but they definitely clean it up a lot more yeah. to where you can definitely hear 
you can hear three distinct voices. Yes. So you do know that Burke is awake at this point. Right. When, you know, remember, he's supposed to be asleep. Yeah. So. Like, that, they're, they're, yeah, their whole entire story has been from the beginning that Burke slept through all this until the family, friends arrived. Right. And Kim said from the beginning she felt like this was very rehearsed. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, you know, this call, it's very haunting now to kind of listen to because you don't know what they're saying and if they're kind of... The, the whole idea of it is really... Okay, so she thinks she hangs up the phone. Now she's talking... You know, now you hear John, now you hear Burke, you hear her talk. Regardless of what they say, the whole situation is weird because the yeah. whole tone changed. It went from her being... We've got a kidnapping. To like we let almost calm. Da, 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 to just hang up. Yeah. And then you hear some people like just talking in the right. background. And, they, and, just... like, and as obviously like even though it's you can't tell what they're saying, you can almost tell that they're, she's a lot more calm. Oh, yeah. In yeah. This, like the in whole, this... Everything changes. Yeah. So... Oh, for sure. But it, it's, yeah. Tell us what you hear. Yeah. When you, when you listen to the audio, you tell us what you guys feel like um, is happening. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to get into, uh, the ransom note. Um, so, uh, this, uh, note, as I was saying before, um, you know, was, was two and a half pages long, mm -hmm. had basically somewhere in the market of just over, you know, somewhere around 370 words, yeah. um, which uh, that's like an essay folks. <laughs> I mean, you, you write you know those 500 word essays you had to write right in? I mean she's almost there yeah I mean I mean like, sorry, this is like this there. is like what you write for like a college like oh yeah uh, application um and they um the the when we were watching the documentary they actually timed themselves yeah. writing this out yeah and it took them over 20 minutes, and it was actually timed at 21 and a half minutes. And what was interesting, too, is when in the documentary, they all three wrote it a different way, so that some people wouldn't dot their eyes. One guy writing, wrote an uppercase. Right, 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 trying to make it quicker, yeah. and they're copying it. Right. So that should not take you as long as it would yeah. to, you know, it, to, and, to think it out and right. write it out. Yeah, like he said, everything that this is supposed to be original thought. Yeah. So it, it would not. It would take me way more than twenty minutes. Yeah. To write two and a half pages worth of, of random thought. And I feel like if we tried to do it now, you know, we haven't studied the letters. Yeah. You know, to the word like they have, because I'm sure right. they had a lot of it memorized. If we had just copied it, still like, because that would be the same idea. If you've never seen it before and you have somebody copy it, that's as close as you're going to get to having that same original thought written down. Right. Um, and I think you would be probably closer to thirty minutes because you're trying to make it as, you know, right, coherent as possible. Yeah. So the note was actually uh, written on a legal pad that was Patsy's. Yeah. Um, that was found in the home on a desk that she uses for like. Uh, it was in the hallway, I believe. Yeah, it was in the hallway, yeah. Um, and then the pen, it was a Sharpie uh, that was found by the uh, the phone, actually, in the basket. Mm -hmm. And they could tell by, I guess, the pad and, like, you know. Well, you know, like, when you write on a piece of paper, like, it, even if the pen itself is a bleed through, you can see where you were right, exactly. on it. Right, exactly. I think they, we've done that in art classes yeah. when we were little. You take a crayon and you can write right. it on top. You know so right? it looks like two drafts were made of the note before they decided to put the final... Uh, note on the stairs, which then shows you, okay, they made three total right, ransom notes, notes. Mm -hmm. while the entire family is supposedly standing upstairs, is sitting upstairs it's in bed. It's kidnapping. Yeah, it's a kidnapping. Somebody, so, so, so let's just, well, we'll get into this more in part two, but if you play it out, 
somebody has come into your house now, probably before, because what are you going to do with the kid? Right. Um, for 20 plus minutes while you're making the ransom note. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to write this note out. All right, I don't like this one. All right, I'm going to write another one out. Okay, right. I don't like this one. All right, I'm going to write this one out. Sitting there in the kitchen or wherever God knows yeah. where, writing this note, and then okay, now I'm gonna dinner, right? And now I'm gonna head out. Or if they had gotten the kid already, they're not gonna come back in and yeah, rewrite do, and write the note. Her? That'd yeah. be that'd be stupid on their yeah. part to come back to the spot where they could get caught again. It, it's a very, yeah. it's a very interesting. Um, so uh, this note has a lot of things in it that are, you know, I think they talked about. Uh, the language of the note yeah. was almost 78% extraneous. Is that what they said? Right, and you're going to get into that too the more you read. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a... <laughs> it, it's nuts. So um, the first thing it starts out with, it says, listen up. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what are you listening to? Is right, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, that was funny. And I guess, like, obviously, like, in my head, when, when they said that, I was like, yeah, I guess so, you know, you're reading it, but I, I get... another ransom note that says, listen to me. Right, like... yeah, exactly. Um, and they um, they also, um, the forensic analysts that were um, kind of studying this note determined that they felt that that was more something that, um, like... A female would a write. A female would write, Because yeah. think about it as, like, I, I feel like... I know not every female is mothering, but yeah. almost every female has more interactions with children. Yeah, than that maternal do. instinct. Yeah. Well, not even necessarily maternal instinct, but just like we we are societally placed in situations to be around kids. So I feel like females are more like, listen, then we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It, it's it's easier for us to jump into that like. How many times do you hear a guy say, "Listen up, we're going to do this," and yeah. we're going to? I feel like that's primarily a female thing. Not that guys don't say it, but like. In this scenario, yeah, if I, I was making a speech, I would be more likely to say, listen to me, or listen right. up, like, hey guys, listen, let's better listen to your song, and then the guy, you wouldn't necessarily say that, like, you would right. probably say something that meant the same, but not not exactly that wording. For sure. Um, uh, so then the second, uh, the second thing that was very interesting about this was that um, the ransom money, mm-hmm. the money that the uh, people requested uh like the kidnappers requested was a hundred and eighteen thousand yeah which um first of all john's a, a millionaire oh yes like yes. he's made millions they have multiple planes they have two planes at one point yeah. they talked about um hundred and eighteen thousand was very close to the amount that his bonus was going to be that year right um so if not the exact amount exactly like, yeah. it's kind of conflicting because again you get into the, like everybody has an opinion about this case situation right. but you know I, I either it was that amount or it was so close that like that it was, it was too eerie. close to, yeah yeah like if you're if you're gonna try and who said 118,000 he's obviously a millionaire right. why would you not say oh, five million for the, you know right. why would you stop at 100 118 right. like, at least even, like not even, not even a quarter of a million. Right. Like, I feel like that's just a weird number. Like, at least ask for a million. Yeah. Like, I mean... I or feel, make it 100,000. Right. Like, if you're going to do a small number... Right. Why 118? It doesn't make <laughs> sense. Um, the next thing that they talked about was um, they... The kidnappers um, label themselves as a small foreign faction. Mm-hmm. That is just odd. Yeah. If you're trying to denote a sense of, like, we're dangerous mm-hmm. and, like, we can do things, you're not going to call yourself small. 
I mean, who are you? Well, that's probably a really bad example, but who are you more scared of? The Kings Mountain, North Carolina Phillies, or the military? Right. But, I mean, what, what if you take two small groups? Yeah. You take your, take your hometown you, singer like, or take Taylor Swift. Right. But, like, in my head, when I think about it, you know, when you think about um, terrorist organizations, right. are you going to be afraid of, you know, a bully in your hometown, or are you going to be afraid of Al Qaeda? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it's like it's like two very different yeah. things. Yeah. Um. So the fact that they would call themselves a small foreign faction just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um. Because even the hometown bully would try to be in. I have friends in bigger places. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it just doesn't make yeah. sense. You know, if it's just like a random group of like you know twelve year olds that want to fight you. <laughs> I mean, come on. But um. So um. The next thing um, that's really interesting, and it definitely was, I would say, one of the biggest red herrings in it, um, was the misspellings. Right. There's misspellings only in the first paragraph of the ransom note. Right. Um, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to deceive you into thinking that whoever is writing this, that English isn't their first language. Which, when they said that, I can see their point. But yeah. another thing that they didn't really mention was low IQ. Yeah. I think is less... I know they said foreign factions, and so, like, that, I guess that's where they're getting, like, the, like, you know, English isn't your first language. I would even argue that they just wanted it to be a lower IQ'd person. Right. Because they didn't continue it, right. but, I guess know. the only reason why they're thinking, though, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to show that it's a, somebody foreign is because of the fact that they're saying they're a foreign faction. Yeah, and, like, in one of the words, that like, they add an extra S. In business, In business. Yeah. But... You know, I don't. I feel like that wouldn't necessarily show that a foreigner, or like someone who has a different right. native language, would spell it incorrectly. Because honestly, people who learn English as a second language tend to spell better than most people. That's who true. Because um, I mean, they, when they learn it, it's usually fresher in their brain or whatever. Right. Um, and that you, when you learn a different language, you tend to remember the differences between your mm-hmm. languages. So I feel like. You know, could it could it be in theory? Yes, I just you know, I I feel like it was more so sh- about like the lower IQ because they're trying right. to make them look like oh look they can't spell like right. Um, so yeah, that one's. I mean, they only do it in that first paragraph, right. and that's weird. So why just start out with doing that and then all of a sudden change it up? Right. Um, and uh, the the last thing that was really really weird about yes. this note was um, there's two spots in the note where they say um, what can actually be attributed to two quotes right. from movies. Right. Or very close. Or at least close. very close to uh, the uh, to movies. So in the first thing that they say, um, they're talking about the demands and, you know, they're talking to John at this point in the ransom note. Mm-hmm. And they're telling you if you, like, basically saying to him, if you talk to somebody, she dies. Right. Um, and at one point, they even make a reference where they say, if you talk to a stray dog, mm-hmm. she dies. It's very, very close to a line from the movie Dirty Harry with mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood. Um, where, you know, he talk, they even, in, in the, in, in Dirty Harry, they basically talk about um, the actual type of dog. Right. They say, like, if you're talking to this Pekingese, you're, the, the, the girl dies. Right. 
Um, and so that's the first really weird kind of connection. Yeah. Um, and then the next one, um, they are talking is a almost a reference, literally, literally pretty much straight on reference to a movie, uh, speed, uh, with Keanu Reeves. Um, it says, if you don't, it says, if you try and grow a brain, John, and in the ransom note, they say, don't try and grow a brain, John. I mean, come on, people. Well, the ransom notes say if you try and grow a brain. Oh, does it really? Either way, that first part, it, it was the same. It's it, the it, same idea. Um, and I think in Speed, right, is when they were like on a train car or they're, something. They're, yeah, they were like, like they were, it's it like, was, if you try to grow a brain, this is what's going to happen right. or something. So it was the same like wording, right. even though they, they kind of changed like the scenario surrounding it a little bit. But it wasn't it in Dirty Harry, it was still a ransom situation. So it was yeah. in a different ransom note right. that said it. So Yeah. That's I mean awesome. it all connects it all it all connects to the yeah. ransom. Yeah. Um the last little thing about the note, um and we kinda touched on it real quick, um, the linguistic profile that the um the guys from the FBI in this mm -hmm. documentary were talking about, um they basically determined from this note that the writer's first language was English, mm -hmm. um, that they were 30 plus years of age. And that's based off of the word, like the words used. Right. Uh, words used like that vocabulary. The uh, there's no, and, and, and like, depending on the like colloquialisms and things yeah. like that. Um, and then the last thing that they determined was that this writer was most likely a female. Right. Very important. Um, and then, uh, Honestly, I mean, I think we can agree this note was a red herring. I don't think anybody questions that at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think if you think that this is a real note, you're crazy. <laughs> Prove it to me. I would love to argue. Right, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, listen, sure, if you want to kind of give us a, um, uh, a mm. your idea of why you think that this note is a real thing, yeah. go right ahead. But at this point... Uh, so regardless of your theory of what happened, uh, mm. I guess we'll, I'll say that too. I think we can all agree it's a red herring yeah. because I think I think police at the scene knew it at the time. I think they still had to take it into consideration because, of course, this is all they have. Yeah. They don't know what's going on, but they can't ignore it. Yeah, it, it was weird, and the where it was found, the whole the whole thing around the note was meant to distract. And who wrote it to distract whom? We'll get into that in part two, but. Right. Yeah, one hundred percent red herring, and I don't know I, if you disagree. Let us know because I would yeah. love to, I would love to hear yeah, why yeah, you think it's yeah, not. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're gonna get into what actually kind of happened the day of finding John Bonet. Right. John Ramsey disappeared for an hour and a half before John Bonet was found. He said he was going out to get the mail, but they determined that was a lie because the mailman drops the mail on the front door. So right. what happened to John during the hour and a half? Who the heck knows? And why does and, it take you an hour and a half to go get mail? Well, even we'll if you were walking to your, two. even if you were walking know. to your mailbox, and we'll get into it in part two for sure. But I, you know, this isn't they pointed out. It's like when the FBI agent showed up because remember, police are already there. The FBI is called right. in because it's a missing child, right? Um, but in a kidnapping case. But you know, when he showed up, the first thing he said is, "I want eyes on him," and right. I want eyes on him at all times. Why did it take him? Saying that for that to happen. But anyway, we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Um, uh, the investigators wanted to have eyes on John and Patsy at all times. 
Because the whole situation is super weird. And, you know, why were the friends there? Why was nothing getting taped off? Um, nobody really had the answers to that question at the time. Um, one thing we do know for a fact is that the police were told to treat him with kid gloves. So I think that's why a lot of things kind of happened the way they did. Right. Is that um, they were not really allowed to treat this like a crime scene. Um, so once John was asked to join in the search from top to bottom. So again, we're going back to that verbiage of top to bottom of the house. Um, and this is an attempt to kind of keep him busy, but keep him, keep eyes on him. And this was an investigator named Linda who was supposed to be with him at the time. And, um, you know, watch him and, you know, keep eyes on him at all times. Yeah. So that's when, that's when we said he grabbed, um, Fleet White and took him down to the wine cellar. There, I'll try to post a picture if I can find a, a good picture of the wine cellar and kind of how to find it. This is this is kind of a out of the way room that nobody seemed to pay attention to. Um, but it was odd that he went straight there. Yeah. And he exclaimed that he had found her before he turned the lights on. This is a super dark room. And looking at it now, you could definitely see that there were objects in the room right. even with the light off. But all he would have seen was, like, a blanket on the floor. Because, again, she's underneath the blanket. Yeah. So he gets, I think at that point is when he turns on the light, takes the blanket off of her, takes the uh, duct tape off of her mouth, picks her up, takes her upstairs, and puts her on the ground. Yeah. So they did notice that there was a broken window with a suitcase underneath it. However, there was cobwebs in the um, like corner of the windowsill um, yeah. of... The window uh, that was broken. Another thing to mention is that the metal grate. So this is in a basement. So there's a metal grate. If you're outside, there's a metal grate looking down into like the basement windows. Yeah. You can't actually really see in the windows. You don't take that grate off and move it to then open the window and get right. in. That wasn't disturbed at all. Um, yeah, none of the foliage <clears throat> there was disturbed at all. Right. John had broken out the window earlier in the month because he regularly locked himself out of the house. So that's why it was broken. But was the suitcase used to try to conceal John Binet at some point? We, we don't know. Um, John was overheard just a few short hours after finding John Binet that he was trying to book a flight to Atlanta. And the police were like, oh, hey, like, no, stop, stop. You, right. like, you can't, can't go. You can't do that, sir. Um... We're not, your daughter was just found murdered. No, you're not leaving. And, and it's important to, to note that Atlanta makes sense because that's originally like where, where, they're, they're, from. where they're from. But so, still, like. Um, it definitely <laughs> makes it a little more interesting. Obviously, it's already suspicious, but they have friends and family in Atlanta, so it would make sense. Right. So, again, you know, they were told to treat the Ramseys with kid gloves because of their money and influence on the town and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what was going on. And at one point, one of the investigators named Linda, she sat next to John and opened her gun and counted her bullets because she felt like this situation is weird. I don't like it. The murderer's in this house. This is not somebody who is out running around doing something else. And she says that from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. She felt like she needed to sit next to him and count her bullets. And, and, it, and it wasn't even just her. Like, the entire no. Boulder Police Department knew right. there wasn't somebody just running around 
Killing kids. Killing kids, stealing kids, whatnot. Right. Because they had a, what was it, one homicide a year? Yeah. At that point in Boulder, I think they had one <clears throat> homicide that entire year. Right. So they, they were very unprepared for right. this. Oh, extremely underprepared, yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I feel like that's very telling for her to sit there and just count. Oh, yeah, that's somebody who them. knows, like, what's going I, on. You know, I, you know I, 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 I give her a round yeah. of applause oh, for that for sure. because, that first of all, that's very... It's very ballsy to do anyway. Like, just sitting there counting your bullets <laughs> right next to the guy whose daughter just died. Like, right, like whatever you think happened, you're just like, all right, right I'm like, a, Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> um, but it, it, it was an odd situation, and it, and it got even more interesting. Um, right. So the Ramseys were not interviewed by police uh, for months. Right. Which is ridiculously odd. Yeah. And even more odd is the fact that apparently they were given police files in preparation for their interviews. Could you imagine? That's Could like the imagine? that's like the teacher giving you the, the, the test se- answers yeah. like right as you're walking in. Yeah. And so And then say, okay, but I'm gonna take it away now. You right, have it yeah, memorized, exactly. you're good, good, you got all yeah. the information. It's it, it, it's nuts. Yeah. Um and the DA's office is 100% to blame for this investigation. Um, We'll talk about this a lot. Yeah. I mean, Alex Hunter. Oh, yeah. Alex Hunter is the DA at the time in Boulder. We will touch on on something that he said. Yes. Very shortly. Um, But um, they were basically, they were, the, the DA was telling the media that the facts just weren't true. Right. That everything that they were hearing was not what was going on. Um, This included the press hearing after the grand jury, um, where the DA, Alex Hunter, said that there was not enough evidence to press charges on the Ramseys or anybody that had been sought as a suspect at that time. which, Which there was a couple other people that, like, could have been, but they weren't really ever... But this grand jury was just held about parents. But yeah, this grand jury was talking about the Ramseys. Mm. Um, So the charges that were um, actually placed on both were um, accessory after the fact. Um, And it was was two charges that were very similar, but they essentially meant accessory after the fact. It was worded a little differently because I think they they realized something weird was going on, so they charged them with what they could. Right. Um, so basically, what they're trying to say is that there was a third party. Right, and involved. they were saying that Patsy helped John, and John helped Patsy. Right. So, so they can give each parent blame. Right. Based on who, if they find out, well, it was Patsy, then she can get it too. If they find out it's John, he could get it right. too. So they so charge them just, both of the same thing. Yeah. With the hopes that that third party comes out and right. says it was Patsy or it was John. Right. And they could charge But either them. way, if they found out it was Patsy, John still helped. That's what right. they were trying exactly. to yeah. trying to get them um, tried for. So um, the jury, though, had a different opinion. Right. Um, the jury concluded that there was enough evidence yeah. to indict both Patsy and John. Right. But once again, the DA responded and said, no, we're not going to charge them. Right. Um, so, um, after the DA, you know, decided to hold that press conference after the grand jury, Mm -hmm. 
the investigators, the FBI get together and talk about what, you know, what, what the, what the plan is at this point. Well, this is before the grand jury. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this was, you're right. This was before the grand jury. But this was on if they were going to get a grand jury. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they basically, the investigators in this were like, they need to be indicted. Like there needs to be a grand jury investigation. And Alex Hunter's response, get this folks, was I need to get with my people. This is a political decision. Why? 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 Right. I'll tell you why. The political decision is because of the fact that the Ramseys had money. Mm-hmm. They did not want people thinking that there was this wealthy family in their neighborhood that murdered their ch- their child. Right. I mean, that's plain and simple what it was. Um, and it was one of the main reasons why Alex Hunter's decision and like that statement was one of the you know, impetus for a lot of investigators dropping out of this case. Right. Including FBI. Right. They were just like, I'm done. Like, right. I can't do this anymore. I can't work with somebody who doesn't want me to work with. Right. There's no, if you're not going to do anything about it, there's no reason for you, for them right. to be there. Um, so, um, it was not, it was, so after that, um, it wasn't long after that, that the Ramseys decided to do an interview right. with CNN. And, whew, this was a doozy of an interview. Um, <laughs> as my wife is saying, they uh, 100% acted a fool on televised interviews. I mean, when when asked if they believed that there was a kidnapper, mm-hmm. you can visibly see Patsy is shaking her head no. Right. She is just going no. And it isn't until John says Yes. And she immediately changes And she her immediately, head. yeah, she starts shaking. She's like, it's like a bobblehead doll. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she changes faster than. Which, and they talk about it, and, you know, we, we're going to touch on it a little bit, but the body language. Yeah. And one thing I will mention, too, is, you know, on the other side of body language is like the subconscious level of it is, was she. And let's just look at her, you know, rose-colored glasses, she's completely innocent. Everything right. is innocent, this is what she says it is. Being asked that question, I can only imagine, like, I feel like if, you, if asking one of our parents that, like, I've right. that happened to one of us, then being like, no, I can't believe that there's a kidnapper, and then somebody else saying, like, yes, there's a kidnapper, and be like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like, I mean, I guess I have to believe it, because it did happen. Right. So, you can kind of look at it either way, but I do think that the that the experts are right when saying, like, she knew that there wasn't necessarily one, but you also kind of have to look at it, too, the same way of, like, she may not have actually believed there was a kidnapper, because... How can this happen to her? Who can come into her right. home? You know, why would they take her? And why was Burke not hurt? Why right. was she not hurt? Why was John sure. not hurt? Why, like, what was going on? So, you know, you can kind of look at it either way. She probably genuinely didn't believe that there was a kidnapper, but why? The, the, the question right. behind the why is why, you know. Right. Yeah, so it could be different. innocent. Like, she could just be saying, she could just be in shock that she can't believe that there's actually somebody. Right. And John's being level-headed and going, yeah, yes. I think there is somebody. Yeah. But either way, like... It's weird. Well, it's weird, but she is still saying, like, no, I don't believe there's a kidnapper. So you can look at it either way. Right. uh, And be equally as right, I believe. Um, They also tried to, you know, convince the public that they were really involved in the investigation, which was not even close to the truth. Right. 
I mean, like we said, they didn't interview with police. Um, they did not want to be talked. They didn't want to talk to the police at, like at all, pretty much. No. Um, you know, it, it was it was very um, hands off. Uh, so they, but they they tried to make it look like in media coverage right. that they yeah, we talked to police on this right. day and on this day. And it's like yeah, you did, but you didn't comply with what they were asking. So what good did it do you to talk to police? Yeah. So. Um, and another thing at the time, though, you know, in 1996, was that um, there wasn't a lot going on. Um, well, it was it was the yeah. week after Christmas. Yeah. Not much news is kind of sparse. Um, this was at the beginning of the 24-hour news cycle. I mean, this was kind of new in yeah. in in time. Uh, Twenty and and for literally 24 hours straight coverage, yeah. all about John Bonet. Videos right. being played. They had a lot to go off of. For oh yeah, sure. for sure. I mean, they were showing scenes of her in pageants, all mm-hmm. dressed up, and that's what led to, um, especially in the north. And we talked about this earlier, really quickly. But um, you northerners gotta make everything dirty, right? I mean, for me, pageants like weren't a thing right. up up north, and like we talked well, about this. Yeah, we talked about it in the documentary. Like right. it just really wasn't. Uh, but they felt a lot of people in the north felt it was hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a six year old that's being paraded around, paraded the stage. around. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that was interesting was in that documentary they spoke to a former friend of Patsy's when um, uh, John Bonet came downstairs and her hair was bleach blonde. Yeah. And, and, and like Patsy said, oh no, like that's from the the summer sun yeah. in Michigan, and like, yeah, this lady's like, I'm not stupid, yeah. like this that's a bleach blonde hair, um, sun's not gonna do that. And um, like down here in the south, it's so normal, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's little big pageants all the time, and yeah. it's such a different mindset because I I can kind of see both sides of it. I don't like the toddlers in Tierra give your kid a pixie stick and go run them off on stage and right. say, here's your little speed it's like kid cocaine right here's here here's your sugar hi go do what you want to do make mommy proud and come back and like whatever right. but there is the side of it it's like my sister does it and you know i did it i you know i've only been in three but right i you know i did them in high school but there is an element to pageantry where like if you get in it and you get in it from a young age you do start winning scholarship money you do yeah. start getting those connections to help you build sure yeah you know whatever so i can kind of see either side of it because right. Because you know, there's definitely a reason for why you're doing it. You're not right. just doing it for the hell of it. Right. Um, when you're six, it's hard. It's hard. Right. It's hard to, to do that. Right. And I do understand the side of like the super sexualized side because I grew up in the dance world right. and watching my sister. I go to my sister's dance competitions and be like, "Oh, honey, please, like, tell them you know other dance studios." She was always with you know good dance studios, other dance studios, and I'm like, "Oh, girl, you." There's not a pole in front of you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like put some clothes on. You know, it, it does, but, you know, to the same, like, token, you know, dance specifically, which is what a lot of pageants kind of yeah. incorporate into their, into their pageants yeah. or their talents or whatever, you know, they do have the the tinier outfits and a lot of it they kind of disguise as being like watching yeah. to see how poised you are how graceful or oh, like sure, whatever yeah. so i mean it can it can be very very toxic i can also understand the other side of like how somebody else get, how are you going to dance in something that you really can't move in because there's so much clothing right. but there's definitely a good like balance and when, yeah. when you look at a six-year-old it's kind of hard because it's like how can you sexualize a six-year-old well well, well when you dress her up like a showgirl right. it's kind of hard not and to in like, today's world we know that that's a very oh yeah a very 
prevalent thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it always has been, but in yeah. this time, like you but said. It, but now it's more, pro- like, we see it more. Yeah. It's more in our face. Yeah. Um, but that, all that led to kind of a lot of different theories oh, in yeah. what happened in this case. And we'll get into those theories yeah. on the Part next two. episode. Um, at this point... I mean, we've thrown a lot of information at you guys. Yeah. So we're so going to save the autopsy for the second yeah. part. Autopsy yeah. and theories, things like that. We're going to go on episode two. Yeah. Um, but tell us what you think so far. Yeah. Um, I know that we pretty much gave you all the information that everybody yeah. has out there. Um, but the thing if, about this case is we could honestly talk about it for 17 years yeah. and nothing could I mean, we could, we could honestly do a full season on, oh, without on, a doubt. on this case and alone. And people have. Yeah. You know, it, it's just... It, it's very redundant because yeah. you can look at every little thing so differently and you know when we talk about it in the next episode i feel like you know the more you the more details you give it's not that it skews your thoughts it just kind of makes it impossible to look at it any other way right um so i feel like it's kind of not fair to the family and yeah to, to john Monet, honestly to look at her life so much because this is something again we talked about she loved which is pageantry yeah and being on stage and being around people and being that bubbly and you know being in the center of tension and dressing up and doing all the things and then you look at it again and you're like oh pageantry is so bad and you go sexually yeah so then it's like you know you you can't really take that from her, you know, when this is the only thing she had in her short right. little life. This is something that she was so proud of and she did so well at. You know, it starts getting into that nitty gritty of like, you know, you, you're now you're messing with her and her right. life. So yeah. But uh, with that being said, um, we are going to close it out for this episode. But before we do that, um, we have exciting news. Yeah. Um, we have finally, uh, launched our Patreon. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we will put the link in, uh, in the description. Um, we just, uh, three tiers, three tiers. Um, give us a dollar a month. You get an extra episode a month and some exclusive access. Yeah. Um, so the three tiers that we have for a dollar a month, we got the cell tower skeptics, yeah. Uh, those are for people kind of getting the entry level to the weirdness. You just want one a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So with that one, you'll get, you know, bonus episode a month, bonus content, stuff like that. Um, the next, uh, tier is the day drinkers. That's, uh, $5 a month. Um, and with that one, that's for those who need a little more courage to get through their day. Um, I made that up guys. <laughs> I'm um, so proud of them. Uh, for that one. Uh, you're gonna get uh, once again bonus co- bonus episode bonus content, yep. and then with that one you'll get surprise merch. Yep. And I got some stuff in the works. Yeah, and live Q and A's. That's gonna be yep. uh, that tier, and then uh, finally our ten dollar tier, yep. uh, which is an escape from all the shoot. <laughs> um, for those who really know how it or she went down. Um, get it, Phoebe joke. <laughs> got it. Um, for that one, once again, bonus episode, bonus content, surprise merch, live Q and A, event like live event type things, yeah. like VIP type stuff. Yeah. Um, and then also Patreon shoutouts. Yeah, Patreon shoutouts, and we'll definitely uh, we can shout out any tier. Yeah. Yeah, but um, we'll do that. But the the ones who I know ten dollars is kind of a lot. Yeah, too. I know. So yeah. I feel like that's very that's reaching, but the, the, honestly, it'll help us kind of yeah. get more content out to you guys, right. um, and be able to get a new mind. 
think that's our that's yeah. our next goal is for us. Mind. Like the, the the point of this, guys, we're not doing this just to like ask uh, you it's for going money. Back into you guys. Oh yeah, this is literally all the money for this um, is gonna go to making this podcast better, making it more yeah. um, involved with you guys because yeah. that's really what we do this for. I'd love to do live streams. Yeah, um, and our schedules are so separated, you know. You know, a lot of the Patreon side of it is like figuring out how to get us together, where we can go to do a live stream. Because you know, right now, trying to book out a place to do, right. you know, do comedy club like Charlotte, which is you know around where we are. But we're not doing anything right now because you know yeah. COVID. So uh, live streams and trying to figure out the platforms on which to hold them on, and you know the third parties that are involved, right. they all need their royalties too. Right. So. so yeah. Um, we're excited for that. Yeah, um, if you have questions, that. email yeah. us at podcast.case.close.gmail.com. And then check out our Instagram podcast case closed. Yeah, talk then, to us. Let us know what you think. If $10 is too much, let's renegotiate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. But like we said, all the money for that, that's going to help in the podcast yeah. and helping you guys get a better content from us and yeah. get more interesting. Hear us better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, with that being said... Uh, we will see you guys next time. Have a Merry Christmas and uh, be safe. Bye, y'all. Okay, so John Ramsey disappeared for an hour and a half before John Monet was even found. <laughs> I'm gonna redo that because I love you, but you're making me crazy. All information presented in this podcast will be cited in the show notes. Music for Case Close composed by Catastrophic Jones, editing by Olivia McDonald. Case Close is produced by Sean and Olivia McDonald.